Hello and welcome to another episode of Essex by the Sea. I'm Owen Ward, exploring the Essex coast, finding out about the amazing and interesting stories it has to offer. Don't forget you can follow us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Essex by the Sea and encourage your friends to like and follow as well. This episode, we're focusing on Mersey Island. It's a project that's been taking place that's looked at coastal erosion on the island. Danielle Newman and Lawrence Northall are community archaeologists and uh, join me now. Hello. Hello. Thanks very much for, for joining me. Uh, Danielle, let's start with you, if I may. What What's the project about then that you've been working on? So the uh, project is called Changing Minds, Changing Coasts, and it's a, a small uh, project that was funded by the Natural Environment Research Council um, out of a larger project. So Lawrence and I both work for Citizen, which is the Coastal and Intertidal Zone Archaeological Network. And uh, we are based in five different discovery programs uh, around the around England. Um, I'm based on Mersey Island and uh, Lawrence is based in uh, Kent. And really what our project is about is uh, using citizen science and people who do lots of coastal walking uh, to help us record intertidal archaeology uh, and archaeology that is essentially eroding out of the beaches and uh, the coasts of England. Changing Minds, Changing Coasts project is uh, built on that and it's it's really looking at um, the coastal changes that have happened on Mersey Island over the last hundred years using a combination of our information that we have from the Citizen Project. So lots and lots of wonderful data about how the coastline has changed, uh, oral histories, archive material and maps. And I guess when you bring all of this together, it then does uh, build up a much uh, bigger picture. And I don't mean picture in, in necessarily in, in, in the literal sense uh, of, of how our coasts are changing. And of course, on the Essex coast, it, it has changed hugely with so much coastline that we have. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the case. Um, and what we found when we when we started looking at uh, at all the different indicators and all the different changes that had happened, the different data sets, um, we were really able to see how they complemented each other um, and how really on their own, um, neither of them presented the full picture. It was only when we got the three of them together that we were able to start digging into how these changes happened and, and why they'd happened. Lawrence, you focus very much on the the oral history uh, for for this project. Then, so so, what are some of the stories that that people have told you about the the coast on Mersey? Yeah, so by talking to local people, um, I was able to learn a lot about personal memories of how the foreshore has changed in terms of its topography. For example, the salt marsh might have receded, and how those changes have been in some ways caused also by changes in wildlife and fauna and flora. So for example, um, seagrasses that were once prolific in the 1920s, they've slowly kind of died out in a, in, in a big way. And these plants would have the property of binding the mud with their roots and also effectively giving rise to ecological systems of mollusks and things like that that would process the mud um, and reform it in a way that made it more resilient to the um, effects of erosion. So those kind of memories of how the uh, biodiversity has changed as well as the, um, the foreshore itself have been really useful for tracking 
the kind of um, loss of um, the foreshore, but also uh, memories about archaeological features can sometimes be useful because um, some archaeological features, for instance, can give us an idea about how the coast has changed um, in the past. Um, as an example, um, if you see a seawall that is far out now into the intertidal zone, you can say with a certain amount of certainty that that's where there was a high tide mark at the time that the wall was built. So things like that can be useful if those if those remains are now lost, but people remember where they were. We can then we can then track changes based on things like that. Some archaeological features will provide indicators in that they would have once been exposed at low tide, for instance, and they no longer are. So people might remember that a, a wreck, for instance, was exposed in the 1970s, but hasn't been exposed since then, which um, can say a lot about the nature of sea level rise and how that has, has affected the accessibility of certain sites. I mean, the people of Mersey Island will have, I'm sure, loads of stories that they've uh, probably spent hours uh, reciting and, and, and telling you, which must have been all been uh, fascinating. But I suppose if you live somewhere and there's just very small incremental changes, perhaps you don't notice it very much. But as you say, if there is a seawall that's now out to sea quite a way, uh, you're going to notice it more. In a previous episode, I got a tour of uh, the Nays Tower at Walton on the Nays, where there again is coastal erosion happening there. And quite obvious, there's some World War II pillboxes that were once standing on top of the cliffs and not on the cliff edges that are now out in the sea. Uh, is there a similar situation in Mersey? There's, an, there's a very com- uh, similar situation in East Mersey where there were um, Second World War uh, batteries that were on top of what weren't even cliffs when they were installed there, but, but kind of sloping, sloping um, areas down towards the foreshore. Um, but as re- sea levels rose and erosion took hold, they became cliffs and eventually became so unstable that I think in the late 80s, they had to bulldoze them off onto the foreshore to stop them being a hazard to the public. So, yeah, we have we have exactly the same thing, essentially. And Danielle, how is the archival uh, material that I'm sure you've spent hours combing through helped to, to build this picture up for, for the project and how, how our coast has changed? Well, I think, as I said, the... The beautiful thing about having the images is that we were really able to use them in combination with the oral histories. And part of this project uh, was it was all done over COVID. So we had very limited opportunities to go to Mersey Island while this was going on. Uh, And we really wanted to involve the community as much as possible. Um, So what we did actually was as we went through these images, and a lot of them came from the incredible archives at Mersey Island Museum, which are just absolutely top notch. Um, as we went through these images and we found ones that we were interested in, but we couldn't quite pinpoint where they were, when they were, um, and sort of what was going on in the images, we would uh, we would send them to, uh, to local community members. And we actually devised a quiz to do this. Um, which was quite wonderful. And so through that, we began to get more oral histories that were very much, very much about the areas we were interested in. So effectively, the images acted as an aid memoir to the people who were who were talking about um, about the changes that had happened on Mersey Island. And they also provided a really good opportunity for us to engage people in the community to go out and take replica photos for us uh, because we couldn't go out there and we wanted very much to show 
the scale of change. Um, we want contemporary photos. Um, what we did on the maps is we made viewshed images. So that would uh, show, we could show people, show our volunteers um, exactly where we thought the images were taken from and they could go out and replicate them for us. Um, so through that really the images were able to help bring things together, help bring memories together and also um, show the, the rate of change that's happened on the island. And through those images, I've seen some of them. A, whoever it is that's been taking the, the photos, uh, credit to them, because to be able to replicate a photo and, and pinpoint exactly where the original one was taken is quite an art in itself. But then to replicate it and see how much has changed as well through those pictures, I guess, you know, it, as you say, gives you such uh, an insight, particularly if you can't visit yourself. They're, they're hugely powerful images. Um, and it was, I think everybody involved was quite was quite surprised. And we were going back through the archival images and we were working with our volunteers and they say, oh, that's that's Cudmore Grove, which is one of our sites. That's Monkey Beach, another one of our sites. We we were in, in sometimes we were very surprised because in a hundred years they've changed so much that they sometimes aren't very recognizable. I was gonna say, yeah, I guess actually some images people today from you know look at an image back then would struggle to to identify exactly where where it was but then in some cases there are landmarks or or uh, certain points in the photo which then give it away as to its location yeah, i think yeah and i think also oral histories were important in that local knowledge was really critical to dating and locating images because you needed to be someone who had known that a fence was put up in a certain place for instance at a certain time to know that that must be the date that it was from or before for instance so yeah, that was that was a big part of it, local knowledge. That, that's exactly it. Is this project really couldn't have happened if we hadn't had the support of uh, the people of Mersey Island, and we hadn't had such an incredible response to the questions that we asked, the images that we put put out there. Because um, there's so much there's so much knowledge that these people have, and a, a lot of people on Mersey Island have really the, the sea is their life, and they've mm. been walking these. Um, these beaches uh, for for their entire lives. So they've noticed all of these changes. They understand these changes. And it's a small enough place that they can remember all of them as well. Just before we continue, though, I would just mention that it wasn't just myself and Danielle that were working on the project. We also had Oliver Hutchinson, who can't be here today. So just to mention that he was also um, instrumental in the project and he took care of the mapping side of things. Good shout out to to Oliver there. Because actually, I'm guessing old maps as well then would have helped to paint the picture of how our coastline has changed because you know we're very fortunate here in the uk we've got some very incredibly detailed maps uh, and an archive of of those has, has oliver spent many hours poring over those to see the differences yeah ex exactly that and i think um, an important part of it was looking at old tide lines on the maps for instance and for example the size of certain islands is substantially diminished along the coast of mersey like Cobmarsh island which in 1923 was double the size it is now when they got the, the deed. So, yeah, things like that, um, you can you can see them on maps. And I think certainly when it came time to to presenting this, um, so we were able to make, uh, well, in particular, Lawrence was able to make an absolutely fantastic uh, story map of the project. Uh, and the maps themselves became the linchpin that the oral histories and the archive images could be put onto. So they really helped contextualize all of the stories and all the images that we had uh, and turned into something incredibly beautiful and uh, a really lovely way of 
re-examining how we as, as, as archaeologists look at, at change that's happened on, a, on an island. With all this data then and, and the uh, stories that you've been told, some people might then say, yes, our coasts change, that's, that's nature. Others may say, oh, it's an effect of climate change. Is it nature happening is it climate change or or is it actually us humans doing other things that then influence uh what's happening along our, our coastline i i think we've with a certain amount of um assuredness seen that is a combination of all those things really and that they're, they're quite interlinked in many ways climate change certainly plays a role in that that is very clear over the last hundred years through sea level rise um, but there is also the there are also the effects of certain human activities like um, the intensification of farming after the Second World War, or the use of certain chemicals on on boats in the in the nineteen seventies uh, to the early eighties, and um, we kind of see that through people's stories that they they actually saw the effects of those things. And for instance, when the uh, the, the chemicals that were toxic to the um, to the environment were were banned, um, they saw it. They observed a, a recovery. So yeah. It's a combination of all these things, but the natural processes also play a part and go alongside it because once you lose one aspect of, of the ecosystem, the knock-on effects are very great. So it's a combination of all those things, I think, and they're very interlinked. Now you've done uh, the, the, the bulk of the project, I presume, and, and, and uh, have all this data. What's that now going to form and, and, and influence going forward? Well, we've, we've been doing lots of talking about how uh, we can um, move this methodology on. So really uh, what the Natural Environment Research Council funded us to do was to develop a way of engaging with the public on something to do with science during COVID-19. And what we ended up just developing is this, this methodology that in some ways kind of transcends that. It's, it's something that can be applied by any organization who's interested in studying coastal change around the world, um, as long as they can find their own indicators that uh, work with the community that they are working with. Um, so we are hoping to move this on. Um, we're looking at maybe developing something to take on the Greater Thames Estuary. Um, so to study change along, uh, along, along the Thames or potentially to look at different types of sites around around the UK. Also, I would just say that um, on a more local level, I think we would we would like the results of this project to be um, able to inform future decisions and future attitudes towards um, Mersey's coastline. Um, we've seen that in the past, certain um, measures that have been taken by authorities to try and prevent coastal erosion have actually made it worse. And we're, we're also hoping that, that this might um, give some kind of evidence base to the, the practices that could, could see the future more, more positive for the, for the coast of Mersey. Uh, I understand uh, that the project has been shortlisted for an award. Is this correct? This is indeed correct. Um, so we have just been shortlisted for a Council for British Archaeology Innovation Award, um, which will be uh, presented start of December, I believe. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. I would certainly uh, encourage your next project to, to stick with the uh, Essex coast, of course. There's so much of it and uh, such diverse uh, coastline to look at. You could be there for years, I'm sure. Uh, but Danielle and Lawrence, uh, time has beaten us. Thank you ever so much for joining me here on uh, Essex by the Sea. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
Don't forget, you can subscribe to Essex by the Sea on your favourite podcast app. You can also play it on a smart speaker as well. Just ask it to play Essex by the Sea podcast. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Listener.